and welcome to another episode of Transfer with Life Science Talks. Today, I'm delighted to introduce Dr. Ellen Half-Davies, the CEO and founder of Aparito. Dr. Davies got her PhD at Greater Ormond State Hospital and has her regulatory experience in the MHRA and EMA. Aparito was founded as a tech solution that will contribute to patient empowerment in the drug development pathway as completely transforming the way clinical trials are studied. She specializes in orphan drugs and rare diseases. Ellen, welcome. Thank you. Really happy to be with you. So let's let's jump in. Rare diseases. We we know we have so much data around executing studies for adults. And would it be right in saying there's a kind of a a dearth of some data for rare diseases for, for for pediatrics? Yeah, it's been an interesting challenge for the rare disease and pediatric space. And children have really been the neglected orphans in this space. The orphan regulation, when it came to force, was fantastic in promoting that interest in the high unmet need and the opportunity to contribute to the quality of life of people living with rare diseases. But unfortunately, pediatrics as a whole have not benefited from that. And despite the pediatric regulation, we've not necessarily seen pediatric clinical trials sort of, you know, happen and the evidence to support pediatric care transform as much. We are obviously understanding that most rare diseases or orphan drugs are also for pediatrics. And, and that is an area that has had maybe a, a difference where the intersection between orphan designation and pediatric indication overlap. But overall, I would say the pediatric population still are very much neglected orphans in, in the drug development space. You know, in the clinical outcome assessment area of pediatrics, there seems to be so many nuanced different things to, to consider. I mean, we, first and foremost, we're getting data from a proxy, from perhaps a guardian. Secondly, we're often getting information that is, if we look at certain certain diseases, Duchenne is a great example where we're looking at the gaze and speed and all the rest of, of a patient and the shoulder movement to get themselves supine and, and erect. Those kind of capturing that data is actually difficult and it's not traditional. So there is, am I right saying there's a whole different mindset required yeah, you know, if I look at pediatric clinical trials, when I did my first ever pediatric clinical trial, it generally looked that it was a protocol that had been designed for adults and somebody had gone in and just done a world replace of adults to child and just ran with it. And that's still true in terms of, you know, the number of venipunctures for PK sampling the number of painful assessments that children are expected to do, completely forgetting the amount of total blood volume they've got circulating, you know, in their bodies would be an issue in those factors. And, you know, Duchenne is an example where an endpoint developed for adults in cardiorespiratory was sort of sabotaged, if you like, then used for a, a pediatric indication. Yeah. Uh, reverse engineering, yeah. And we see the same sometimes. We see the same with, with dosage and dosage, where... A dose for an adult is, well, let's just reduce that for a pediatric rather than a bespoke, I'm not saying it happened often, but rather than a bespoke, you know, study for what would be the correct dose for at that. At that yeah. Time. And then, you know, the, there has been some improvements in sort of the PKPD modeling, at least, so that a, a pediatrician is not left to completely you know, second guess what dose to be prescribed off label based on sort of halving the, the child's weight kind of aspects. Yeah. 
And we know that that has led to significant either underdosing or overdosing and the sort of side effects that's involved in it. And to give credit to progress in the field, sort of the PKPD modeling is one place where dosing is at least, you know, getting a better indication. But the clinical efficacy evaluations is still an area that's massively under invested in from a pediatric point of view. And that would lead me on to my next question, because do we need to design new endpoints for children first and foremost? And it goes back to our, rather than just reverse engineering. Yeah, I mean, my, my passionate belief is that actually we should always start with the child and develop endpoints that are child friendly and then that could carry on being meaningful throughout childhood, adolescenthood and into adulthood rather than trying to, to reverse engineering it. Because if you think of, you know, walking, eating, talking, social play, these are critical activities of daily living that are important in childhood and adulthood and could be translatable throughout that sort of, you know, lifelong movement and even into elderly care. And for me, looking at it with the the child's view would make it simple, easy to use. I would think even adults would prefer to have passive, friendly, accommodating assessment rather than what they're currently sort of having to undergo in a clinical assessment. That speaks to the burden on on the, the, the child itself. I mean, there are so many clinical trials that we did, you know, 18, 20 years ago, where the endpoint was painful, it was invasive, it was embarrassing, and it required hours of, you know, kind of attention and, you know, cajoling the child to comply. And therefore, the data is really dubious at that point when the child is stressed, in pain, fatigue, you know, and, and had enough. And even to go back to the six-minute walk test, if you're an eight-year-old child who's on steroids, yeah, potentially yeah. with some behavioral, six minutes is a long time to kind of pay attention and to follow the instructions. And therefore, it's significantly impacted by other aspects other than disease severity. That's a very interesting point. I, I, never, think, I never think about that, like simple things as the physical duress of doing something like that. For these patients, these, these children that are already compromised in some way, I never thought about that sort of burden. I'm always thinking about the, the pain that the patient has to go through during mm-hmm. the, the, the treatment. There's some really interesting research that sort of shows that if you bribe a child with money and ice cream, you can get them to walk further in a six-minute walk test than if you don't bribe them with ice cream and money. So that's, you know, and and when, you know, we're looking for 30 meters difference in a clinical effective sort of uh, treatment, that's a lot of influence on your endpoint. Yeah, well, we, we, the things we do to get the data. So, so I guess my next question then is, what's the next thing that needs to happen in childcare and child health and rare diseases? You know, I think for, for me, we're in a post-pandemic world where, Healthcare resources are really scarce and we're likely to face other pandemics, other issues that are impacting on children, adults, rare diseases and common diseases. And to sort of separate out these aspects individually is is going to carry on causing friction and delays in accessible healthcare. And so flipping it on its head and sort of prioritizing child health in terms of the endpoints the study design would ultimately be benefiting adults and future generation too 
um, and making all clinical trials child friendly, makes them adult friendly, but also, you know, allows us to ensure that we have a healthy and economically productive workforce for the future and the children that are coming through. I think that's fair. You, you actually mentioned, you just, you just pricked my interest, you mentioned the pandemic. We look at the vaccines now for, for COVID-19 in a pediatric setting, and I was actually very pleased to see that there were particular bespoke studies for pediatrics rather than let's just dilute the dosage, let's just, you know, model it down kind of thing. It was actually proper pediatric studies. Do you see that as the future? You know, when the pediatric regulation came to force in Europe, one of the biggest successes of it was that there was a, a change in mindset that we should protect children through research, not protect children from research. And the sort of old mindset of don't use my child as a guinea pig, you're not going to put my child to untested medicines is, is sort of, you know, although conspiracy theories and anti-vaxxers aside, is sort of a, a better understanding of how research can benefit care and, and benefit outcome. I think it's all to do with proportionality, you know, so going back to my point, you're not going to ask a three-year-old to do a phase one PK study that we're going to draw bloods every 15 minutes because we're kind of academically curious to see what's needed. And with advances such as the digital twin, extrapolation and modeling, you know, you really don't need to do the full-on invasive clinical trials yeah. in, in adults or children, to be honest. We should be looking at more innovative ways of bringing safe medicines and you know the high costs of developing medicines the high failure rates in developing medicines is you know at some point somebody's going to say why are we still doing these things in the same way expecting a different result um, right. and why are we not sort of doing it so there is a risk of changing the way we do things because you've got patient safety but equally we know that the current way is not working and therefore you know at some point we need to adapt these modeling extrapolation digital twin approaches to only be doing the right research for the yeah. confirmatory data that we need. I'm probably off topic ever so slightly, but if you look at the IE criteria for adult studies, it's very stringent now. We're, we're really, we're looking for super patients. When we do that in a pediatric setting, we can't really be as stringent, can we? We can't really have the same kind of IE criteria criteria is a, is a sort of a really interesting one. And that, I think that's where maybe more of a real world pragmatic study design, you know, makes sense, both for adults and children. And again, if we go back to the, you know, the global health impact, the constant challenge that we have is that the clinical efficacy identified in a very homogeneous tight inclusion criteria from a a study never ever translates to the real world effectiveness of a world population. And therefore, we're never really comparing like for like anyway. And maybe that it is a question of are we sort of, you know, needing a different approach to demonstrate efficacy and safety that can be translated to real world effectiveness? That, yeah, that, to be honest, that's my hobby horse. That is one of my hobby horses. And uh, I do think that we definitely need a different approach. Um, definitely we need to have a, a more real-world evidence approach. Ellen, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time here. Dr. Ellen uh, Half-Davis is the CEO and founder of Aparito. Please join us next time on our Life Science Talks. I'm Mark Wade, and I'm Double Press Leader for Transperfect. Thanks a lot.